Do you have a pent-up desire to get out and travel again? Well, you're not alone. Hello and welcome to TripCast 360, the podcast of lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment. This is Michael Gordon Bennett coming to you live from Las Vegas, Nevada, where I know you're tired of hearing me talk about the weather, but it was 116 degrees here yesterday. And Dave is actually on location down in Florida. Dave Cumberbatch, uh, my friend, how is Florida? The temperature here in Northern Florida is pretty good. The only problem is it's raining every day. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, since I grew up in Florida, one of the things about Florida is like it rains really hard for like 15 minutes. Yeah. And then it goes away. But there's like this steamy mist that comes off the ground that lasts about a half hour after it rains. And for people who are not used to that, it's a little off-putting. Well, I mean, but you can save some money. You can fry your eggs on the sidewalk. You'll be fine. Hey, that's my dad's joke. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that was my dad's joke. So, um, hey, I, I ran across an article um, that I actually now posted on our website called Buy Now, Pay Later, Vegas Awaits. That's the, the title of the article on our website. And um, basically what it is, is there are companies out there that offer uh, the ability to buy a vacation and make payments over time and pay it later, not pay it off a full, like on the cruise ships. You know, you you get your cruise thing itinerary maybe nine or ten months in advance, and they give you up until a month before the cruise departs to um, uh, pay the sh- the uh, cruise off. But this is different because you can actually book a trip. and And the reason that I got Vegas awaits is because this company called I think it's called Uplift actually partnered with Las Vegas Travel or Vegas.com to offer these where you can actually book your trip to Vegas. And make payments over time, and you don't necessarily have to pay it off before you get here. But what's the difference between that and a credit card? Do they charge interest? Oh, you know they're going to charge now. <laughs> just, just just because you can uh, uh, pay it off over time doesn't mean that uh, you, you're not going to pay. It, it's like a virtual credit card, I guess. I would much rather have pay what you can. <laughs> yeah, but you're not, not not everybody's wealthy like you. Oh, <laughs> I would love to say that's a low blow, but I will keep that in the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'm reading directly from what I wrote here. Uh, like, uh, for example, instead of paying $1,000 up front for airfare and hotel, a customer can book their trip today with zero down and spread the cost out over six months or 11 months or whatever. And it's through a company called Uplift. So as I was doing my research, trying to uh, write this story, I actually found several companies that do this. There's one called QuadPay. There's one called Affirm. There's another called Afterpay and one called Klarna. And then I also found out that Expedia and some and Priceline and some of those uh, guys also offer this type of uh, credit. I'm trying to find out what's the difference between that and a credit card, as I mentioned earlier. Nothing. Um, do, they, do they check your, your, your credit score and all that before you... Yeah, they Probably check your too. credit score up front, and that determines your interest rate and whether you even have to put something down or not. Obviously, the okay. better your credit, you know, you don't have to put anything down because some of these trips are nothing down. So if your credit's mm-hmm. a little dicey, yeah, you may have to put a little bit down. But, you know, the cost of travel is becoming so prohibitive for the average consumer. I remember coming to Vegas. The first time I came to Vegas was 1981 for a bowling tournament, believe it or mm-hmm. not. And the average cost of a hotel room was probably around 50 bucks. Yeah, I remember average, that really yeah. cheap. 
Yeah. yeah, the the average cost of a hotel room now in Vegas for a decent hotel is you know somewhere hovering over three hundred dollars a night. You know, think about that. You, most people can't afford that anymore. You know, when you when you think about middle class, uh, you know, losing their spending power because of inflation and a whole host of other nonsense, and then these prices continue to go up. I don't know if I told you before, but maybe that's the reason why I haven't been to Vegas in years. <laughs> Dude, we can't even come to, don't, don't pick on Vegas. We can't even go to New York. <laughs> I'll tell you, Michael, you can come to New York now. As of, as of June the 15th, Governor Cuomo has removed most of the COVID restrictions here, man. Yeah, that, ha- that happened in California also on June the 15th. Everything is open now. Um, yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm going to San Francisco next month for a couple of days. So that'll be uh, fun. I haven't been to the Bay Area in quite some time. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, San Francisco is one of those cities at 70% plus uh, vaccinated. Taking what's happening in California and New York State, and of course, there's some other states in the Union. Um, the Caribbean and other destination, uh, destinations are also doing it as well. What are your expectations for travel in 2021? Do you have any expectations? Domestically and probably North America uh, and the Caribbean, I think you're going to see a pretty good recovery, assuming, you know, Americans don't do what they normally do and run from a hurricane. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But uh, I don't see the international markets opening up just yet. Europe has still got a lot of problems. Um, to me, they actually put their money behind the wrong horse with the vaccine they chose to distribute. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I know Joe Biden had just made an announcement at the G7 last week about 500 uh, billion doses being distributed around the world. But if everybody has to have two shots, that doesn't go very far. You know, so I think Europe, Europe is open. I mean, the, the, you know, the European Union has put together a plan and some people have already violated the plan like Greece. They said, the hell with that. We can't wait because we're dependent on tourism. But with all that being said, I still think there's going to be some lag with what's going to happen in Europe. I don't think they're going to recover until next year. Well, just don't go to Brazil, that's all. Or, or India. Yeah, or, or India. I'm <laughs> yeah. telling you, man. It's so sad what's happening there. Yeah, I, I think it's bad because you've got people in, in, in India in particular. And it's one thing to give them a vaccine. It's another yeah. thing to have the infrastructure in place to distribute the vaccine. Right. And they're going to be lagging far behind. Real briefly, before we bring Jamie in, I also ran across a, another article. There was a company called JSX. It's an airline yeah. that uh, is primarily on the West Coast right now. But instead of uh, what they do is it, 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 they kind of treat it like private air travel. Instead of going to the main terminal at McCarran Airport, you would go to the JSX terminal, which is at the private air terminal, which is right next to our airport. And you can fly to certain destinations around the country for $99 a trip. Wow. One way. It's one way. Now, there are some that are a lot more expensive, but like I go back and forth to California to visit my son all the time. And you basically uh, walk right up to the plane. There's only 30 passengers on the plane. That's all they allow. And you're basically sitting at a private air terminal. They've got the same amenities and stuff like that, but they've got, there's no middle seat, no aisles, no nothing. And it's really convenient because you can literally walk up to the plane 20 minutes before takeoff, hand them your luggage and say, I'm here. I would love to see that business plan. I don't know how fabulous that is. <laughs> yeah, it's JSX.com. I actually read it from somebody else. I forgot where I read it. But what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to test that. So I'll report back to you. I'm going to go visit my son at the end of next month anyway, because my uh, my grandchildren turned three. 
And we're actually going to get on the plane and fly from here to uh, either LAX or Orange County. My preference would be LAX because it's cheaper. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to test yeah. it out and see. You know, it'd be cool just to walk on a private plane or what looks like a private plane, even though it's not, for $99. I think there's a much bigger plan there because I read where Qatar and JetBlue are minority partners in that. Yes. Yeah. JetBlue well. definitely is. Yeah. And I know that, like, there's several flights from here to uh, L.A., here to uh, the Bay Area. There is a couple flights from here to Phoenix. They have the only East Coast destination for this airline right now is to Destin, Florida, yeah, um, which is up in the Florida panhandle by my old home. So other than that, I think they're going to expand, but it's actually kind of cool. But you have to be um, uh, flexible in terms of when your trip. One of the things I discovered was thir- uh, Wednesday, yeah, Thursday and Friday were the best days to travel. Because the prices were lower. If you travel, you know, over the weekend or Monday or Tuesday, the prices go up because business travelers are starting to use it now and they right. get their money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, sounds good. Sounds good. Quick uh, housekeeping notes: uh, Tripcast three hundred and sixty podcast is available not only on our website tripcast three hundred and sixty dot com, but it's also available on all the platforms: Amazon, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Uh, pretty much any place that you can find our podcast, share, like, subscribe, share with your friends. We are a different kind of podcast uh, because we totally believe in being entertaining and entertainment is also part of our platform where we um, merge traditional entertainment with travel. They're, they're related anyway. So we're the only podcast out there that I know of that's even coming close to doing something like that. So please uh, uh, join us. And um We'll be derelict if we didn't mention that we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And as I say in every single podcast, follow us, like us, message us, and tag us. And to begin receiving our newsletter, just go to our website, tripcast360.com and sign up. And we need to let our audience know that we're more than just a podcast. Our website is a unique consumer-friendly approach that provides our audience with the information they can use either to purchase products or just to have a fun, good time hearing and reading about our traveler experiences. All right. Well, we've kept Jamie waiting long enough. She's been patiently waiting in the wings, as they say. So let me uh, uh, get back. Our, our dear friend, Jamie Edwards, is back. Uh, for those of you who are frequent listeners of our program, uh, you will enjoy Jamie once again. She's been on uh, two other times. Her website, I Am Lost and Found, is a wonderful collection of travel experiences and ideas you should tap into in making those future travel plans. Right. And oh, by the way, uh, Jamie is also a fantastic photographer, so uh, you can see some of her work on her website. Um, and we will provide uh, links back to her website once this uh, podcast is over in our write-up on tripcast360.com. But we got Jamie back today because she wrote a great piece called Travel Returns, Five Things to Expect in 2020. 21. And it's actually, um, uh, I I walked away. She gave me so many ideas for travel that I said, okay, we got to get her back on the show because uh, I like Jamie a lot because Jamie's an explorer. She doesn't believe in sitting around and waiting for things to come to her. She likes, gets gets out there, does her research, got all the guidebooks out and stuff like that. So she's my travel agent now. So (laughs) Jamie, 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 welcome back. Thank you. Thank you, David and Michael, for having me back. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you as well. You were on for season one with uh, I'm Lost and Found. You were there 
you were there for season two, food as a travel destination. And now you're back to, to talk about travel return, five things to expect in 2001, 2021, corrected. That's what I'm saying, um, man. Don't, don't send me back that far. <laughs> I, I had an afro back then. <laughs> <laughs> now that we are in the midst of 2021 and everyone's getting their vaccine and travel restrictions are being lifted, um, I read your article, Five Things to Expect in 2021, and you literally broke it down by different, uh, what, should I, what should I say, different types categories yeah different categories of travel um i quoted you earlier when you talked about coming through the lincoln tunnel and you seeing the bright lights of new york city uh can you share some of those experiences with us or 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 better still what do you expect in 2021 i will take them one by one as we as we go ahead sure um well i have to say it's uh that analogy of coming through the Lincoln Tunnel and seeing the lights of New York City is uh, really the way I do feel right now. Uh, we've all been sort of in this uh, in this tunnel, kind of waiting it out. Uh, and as travel restrictions are easing, uh, lots of people I know, including myself, are looking to the future and trying to discover what fits into their vacation style moving forward. Everybody has different levels of anxiety or possibly um, fear about planning. Some people are looking at this as the roaring 20s. I read an article about it. Right. The new, the new roaring 20s. Uh, so people are approaching it in different ways. And so there's really no wrong way to go about how you travel next. Uh, mm. And everyone's going to approach it differently, like I said. But there are what I've noticed in uh, doing a bu- quite a bit of reading and research is that I saw some trends emerging. Mm-hmm. The very, the, I would guess I would say the umbrella, though, the overarching of all of these trends is family. And I don't mean the family that we were stuck at home with for the past <laughs> year. <laughs> I mean the family members that we didn't have the chance to see grandparents, uh, aunts and uncles, people who lived overseas. Uh, And I think as the overarching umbrella, what I've noticed is that people really want to see their extended families. And that's becoming a priority in the way they travel. Uh, We, for instance, uh, have a family trip planned with my husband's family in August, uh, 13 of us, uh, to go to Croatia. And we'll be on a boat, uh, like a small uh, chartered goulette which is a trip we've done pre-pandemic which is also an incredible trip to take with an extended family for a variety of reasons i think that that is definitely the biggest overarching emerging trend would be getting back together with family that we haven't seen and i'm glad that you brought that up because i read a piece that you wrote travel comes comebacks to plan for 2020 and I believe it was in that piece where you said you realized what the most important things in my life were. In well, I'm quoting you in my life, in your life were. Um, you said, as it turns out, you need less things than you thought. Can you can you dig a little bit deeper into that and explain uh, what's important to you and what you discovered 
is more important to you and what is not important that you can literally put in the back burner or just push aside? Sure. Uh, I think in my case, uh, while things are great and my husband would probably say that I still love things, I would beg to differ. I think that experiences are the things we look back upon and really remember uh, whether, and I think I've mentioned this before, sometimes even whether that experience is good or bad. Uh, we always look back and have some sort of uh, funny story, a laugh about it. Uh, I once booked a trip to Thailand in the middle of the rainy season. I just didn't research it enough. It rained most of the time we were there, but we still look back on that trip and laugh about it, uh, swimming in the rain. I think that travel, I think experiences are, are really where it's at. And when we look back on our life, those are the things that we want to remember those times with families or with good family friends. Uh, those experiences I've come to realize are much more important to me than the things that I own. And with that, that said, I, I think that that is something a lot of people have realized during this challenging time we've all been through uh, is that family time uh, kind of trumps all. No, I, I totally agree. I think, I think I got lucky from one respect that, you know, my son's only, you know, four hour car ride from here. So I was able to take, you know, targeted trips back and forth, you know, to go visit them. But, you know, a lot of people miss their extended family. I know you've got family coming into town later today and things like that. So I, I do agree with you. But I, I did want to follow up on something. You mentioned Croatia, and I know that's in one of your categories on, on your story that we referenced at the top of the show. I think it's under the dream trips. Why Croatia? Well, Croatia happens to be open right now, which is uh, a big plus. Uh, we have taken that trip before in Croatia uh, twice, in fact, which goes against my uh, kind of personal mantra of never taking the same trip twice. And now this will be the third time. So it says a lot about Croatia <laughs> because this is our third time going. We're going to uh, a separate set of islands, much farther north, a little less uh, touristy. Uh, but what makes that trip so exciting is that it really, uh, it's a great family reunion trip. It's very freeing and liberating. Croatia, Gulet, uh, uh, and sailing is very beautiful, very easy. The islands are. Uh, still feel really authentic. Uh, the waters are, are beautiful, and it's a it's a, just a wonderful destination for for um, for a gulet trip and for a family reunion, in my uh, opinion. Well, you're also big into food, so how's the food there? I love the food. Is of course lots of fresh fish, uh, which I love. Uh, many of the gulets, in fact, most of them come with a chef. So you are always being treated to uh, local food, uh, local fish. Uh, it it there's just some sort of a a freeness to a trip where you're barefoot most of the time, in bathing suits most of the time, no need for a hairdryer, no makeup. Uh, it's a very low maintenance trip, and that's also kind of a big draw of of a trip like that for me is how little you need and how many memories you really build on when your kids are just jumping off the boat you've got stand up paddles uh snorkeling it's a a way to really feel away and free 
Wow. That, that's awesome. Yeah. That seems to be a common thread, by the way, throughout most of your stories is the low maintenance trips. <laughs> I like yes, that actually. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems to be a common thread. Well, speaking of that, I'm going to look, I'm looking at your article right now and you divided it into five categories. So we're going to start in reverse order and start with number five, when you made an emphasis on wellness trips. Uh, what, what got you to thinking that that was one of those things that is people should really look forward to in the coming year? Well, I think wellness has been uh, emerging as being quite popular over the past few years. Uh, some would say this has been a trend for at least a decade, but it seems to be coming to the forefront for a lot of hotels now more than ever. And the way I sort of recognized it was every time I went to a hotel or resort website, I noticed it was in the menu items alongside uh, dining options or accommodations. Uh, it used to say maybe just spa, but now oftentimes it'll say wellness as a category. Uh, and it's much broader and more unique offerings than they used to have. Uh, which so I think wellness is quite popular because now more than ever, people really seem to care about what they're putting into their bodies uh, food-wise. Uh, people care about what they're lathering on top of their bodies uh, as far as creams and skincare. And that's why I think wellness is sort of a hot ticket right now. There are places in the U.S. like Blackberry Mountain, uh, Blackberry Farm in Tennessee. Uh, there's Miyamo, which is in Arizona, which is set in Sedona with the beautiful uh, mountains and the red rocks. And there are many opportunities for to take holistic uh, classes or holistic treatments. And that seems to be a very popular thing for people to do. Meditation uh, is all sort of at the forefront at the moment. Is medical tourism a subcategory of wellness or, or is, is that a separate category altogether? You know, I'm not quite sure. I think that they probably go hand in hand. I haven't read as much about that uh, per se as I have about wellness retreats being so popular. Uh, there's a place in Malibu that I know friends have gone to called The Ranch, where people spend an exorbitant amount of money to be given six almonds on a hike. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is so California. <laughs> apparently, apparently you're given six almonds for your 10 mile hike. And as the website says, some people find that's just too much. Yeah. yeah. Which I find hard to believe being someone who could needed more than six almonds for a trip like that for a hike. But, uh, but people love that. Uh, they, they kind of want to be pushed to some limits when it comes to fitness. Uh, so other places I've read about a new, uh, resort opened up in Montana called the green O and it's an adults only resort. It's sort of on my little bit of my short list, uh, that they have what's called the grizzly man trail, which I believe is a one mile, 12 obstacle course uh, on the property. Uh, so those are the types of things that are gaining attention and popularity. Uh, that combination of wellness, adventure, and yes, of course, some indulgence on top of it. Do you see wellness tourism really, really taking off now as a, as a category of, of um, one of the tourism um, products? 
I do. I notice it. Uh, even just with my friends and people that I hear around the community, it seems to be really important for people to, it's almost as if we feel that we like to have some luxury and do some things, but maybe sitting on the beach isn't quite cutting it the way it used to, that we want to push ourselves, do some things that are that are better for us, uh, whether that's hiking uh, yeah. uh, through some valleys or in Moab, uh, national parks. We want to do some things that sort of incorporate the fitness that maybe we don't feel so guilty about indulging afterwards. Possibly. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> Oh, you're never going to get me to quit indulging. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I digress. But I, I did notice when you were in your story, you mentioned that the, the vegan uh, uh, menu at the Blackberry up in the Smoky Mountains. And Dave and I have had a boatload of conversations about our own personal health over the last couple of weeks. I got diagnosed earlier this year with extremely high cholesterol. So I basically had to change my diet. I've lost 30 pounds. I changed my diet to put me on medication and my cholesterol level dropped from 388 to 133 in four and a half months. And the reason that I mentioned that is not to pat myself on the back, but one of the things my doctor had mentioned was the vegan diet. So what I, I didn't go completely vegan yet, but what I've done is I've incorporated a lot of vegan foods into uh, uh, what I eat now. As a matter of fact, I had a whole vegan meal the day before yesterday and I didn't miss a beat. It was great. So, oh, uh, I agree. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you, I, when we were at Blackberry Mountain, I went with a, a girlfriend of mine who is vegan. And because we wanted to try all the food there, the food is really uh, outstanding. I decided to go vegan for three, for three days while we were there. And mm-hmm. I did not miss, I did not miss anything. Now, of mm-hmm. course, it was a really uh, incredible chef there who has been trained at the, you know, Culinary Institute cooking all the meals. And if I could have that at home, I could easily be vegan (laughs) if I had a chef. But with that said, uh, it felt so good, uh, the way we ate and it was beautifully presented. It, I didn't miss anything. I, I, well, that's not true. I did cheat on the last day and I had a steak. Um, (laughs) but, um, but I really think that, uh, whereas maybe even five years ago, if you went to a restaurant and said you were vegan or even vegetarian, you could get some looks or they wouldn't have the menu for you, or you just get stuck with something, um, like some vegetables on a plate. But today everywhere, at least in DC. And I find that, uh, New York and LA that is totally normal now that, uh, it's accepted widely at restaurants. And there's a lot of accommodations made and in fact, excellent menus, uh, sometimes even better. Wow. Yeah. That, 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 that style of eating is, it fits in with what you had written about the, the wellness approach. I think you're right. I do think that a lot of people are paying attention to what goes in their bodies, what goes on the outside of their bodies. Uh, and, and I, I just, you know, it's more than just a massage now. Absolutely. Oh, oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah. Oh yes. By Absolutely. the way, in fact, uh, when we, when, uh, I took a mother daughter trip to, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the place in Sedona called Miyamo, uh, a few years ago, and some of their treatments are really fantastic. You can do past life regression, uh, cranial uh massage um you there's therapeutic treatments just for your mind there's ones that combine both mind and body and uh it it, i mean as long as you're open-minded it's a really fantastic experience 
<laughs> yeah, but but Dave's therapeutics usually involves a little glass of rum. Yeah, well, well, <laughs> well that's how I build my 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 uh, biceps. You know, I, <laughs> I, do, I do like this. <laughs> that's like a twelve ounce curl with a beer can. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, Jimmy, I've got a number of places that I want to go, and I have those on my bucket list. I see you have a dream list category. Is it can let's talk a bit more about that dream list category and can you share some experiences on some of the places that you've been that are on your dream list? Sure. Well, I think that from what I've kind of noticed in speaking with friends and reading is that people are looking for when they do travel next, they want to splurge. They haven't they've haven't traveled in a long time. They have a mm-hmm. lot of pent up excitement mm-hmm. and they may also have some disposable income because they hadn't been traveling the way they had been or commuting and they uh, had saved some money. And, and I also feel that to use a few cliches, you only live once live for the moment, seize the day type things. People don't want right. to wait any longer. They don't want to have any regrets. We don't, know what the future holds and now is the time to really kind of splurge a bit on those dream lists those bucket lists uh i for one have just booked with my stepfather a trip to antarctica for 2022 uh so and i'm not the only one those boats are booking up uh apparently so a lot of people are out there thinking to themselves, especially by 2022, I'm really going to be ready to go. So that is one of my bucket list trips that I have booked. Another bucket list trip for me uh, is to go to Bolivia, where there are the uh, Uni Salt Flats. And oh, anyone wow. who's on Instagram, any travel sites on Instagram will see beautiful pictures of the salt flats. And I've always been torn because in the rainy season in Bolivia, it looks like a mirror on the ground and it's a very, very shallow water and it makes for absolutely beautiful photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's the dry season, which to me, the ground looks like cracked earth and Mars and equally beautiful. So mm-hmm. my bucket list would be to go both seasons <laughs> at different times. So, um, Another trip that is on our bucket list, which had gotten derailed, was going to Egypt. We were supposed to go to Egypt last Christmas. And so that's still on my bucket list um, and is growing, as always. Uh, But I think it's important to have bucket lists and dream trips. uh, And especially because I feel that I don't want to take any time for granted now. Mm. No, nor should you. I mean... You know, I think if there's anything we all learned from this pandemic is um, there's not a moment to waste. You mm-hmm. you know, we don't know how long any of us are going to be here. I mean, we could be called home tomorrow for all we know. So if, if you're not taking advantage of what this world has to offer because you're doing other things like working too hard or, you know, it, it's one of the reasons why I kind of like what the Europeans do. You know, they get that 30 days paid vacation a year and, and oh, yeah. travel all over the world and they're paid. You know, which is one of the things I missed from my days in the Air Force was those 30 days were paid vacation days. So, you know, I'm out visiting the world. And, you know, when I was in Costa Rica, uh, we were, um, the resort that we stayed at, uh, there was a couple from uh, Spain 
And the place that, uh, that this was week two of their four week journey around the world, paid vacation. Oh, wow. Oh my goodness. And, uh, yeah, I was so mad at them when they left me. It's like, you know, and, and they were, I forgot where they were going next, but your, your, your trip to Bolivia is kind of intriguing. I actually just read an article yesterday. I believe, I think Bolivia had the, had past tense, the world's highest elevation ski resort. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, it was 17,000 and something feet above sea level, but the ski resort doesn't exist anymore because the glacier that was on top of it is all melted. <gasps> Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, you know, so, you know, getting out and seeing some of the things that you want to see, like your trip to Antarctica. I noticed, by the way, this seems to be a common thread with you in cold weather climates. I saw Norway <laughs> in one of your lists. Uh, I think I saw Sweden on your list. You're going to Antarctica. What is this thing with you and Cole and Vermont, which you go to quite a bit, by the way? <laughs> That's so interesting with? because I actually am not a I'm. It's so interesting you would pick up on that. By the way, I go to Vermont mostly in the summer. I'm going to Antarctica Smart in girl. their summer, <laughs> yeah. which will still be cold. Uh, yeah, so there must be something very exciting for me about cold weather places, especially from an adventure point of view. Uh, when I'm in a warm place, I tend to want to be on the beach and just sort of relax with the book. But there's something adventurous about Norway, the Northern Lights, Iceland, uh, Antarctica, uh, the real pole of adventure. Yeah. yeah well, well, Dave, you now need to go to a cold weather climate. Pick your poison. <laughs> um well i live in new york city so that's not cold weather climate come on now <laughs> <laughs> no i'm a warm weather person i like outdoors i like to sit in the backyard i like to swim in my pool i like to have a cold beer under a tree i like to go to bars outdoors nah all right we're J- jamie we're gonna have to work on this with him because my dear friend dave you know, he, he we, we got to get him into some places where it snows a couple hundred feet, not five inches. Well, it's interesting, though, because I know we're going a slightly out of order, but you're sort of referring a little bit to what I was calling the simple pleasure trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All those little things that you're mentioning, David, uh, are those things that are really your simple pleasures. And the way I described it is sometimes it's nice to have your simple pleasures, but have them sort of outside of your normal life. Yeah. So. For me, my simple pleasures are relaxing in the morning with a great cappuccino, uh, a beautiful view, um, sleeping in, all of which I can do in my own house. Uh, But it's so much nicer when you're doing it somewhere outside of your house, uh, taking your creature comforts elsewhere. And Mm. that sort of led me to thinking about back to Vermont, for instance, where we spent six weeks last summer and what a unusual, uh, interesting, low-key time that was just exploring a little small town in Vermont, hiking, walking, uh, um, kayaking. And I think that there are so many places, uh, whether it's driving distance for people, like getting a cabin stay, which cabin stays are pretty popular right now. And What's great about either an Airbnb or a cabin stay is that it does sort of feed into a little bit of what I've read is called an isolation vacation, where people still want to go away, but they're still a bit nervous, uh, understandably. Uh, So they want to sort of isolate a bit, but somewhere beautiful. Um, There are places that I had sort of on my list. One is called uh, Primland. It's in Southern Virginia. 
And Primland has uh, is a resort, but it has three really beautiful tree houses. And I have my eye on the tree house as a future trip in the Blue, Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. Uh, also, it just it's great to bond with Mother Nature as sort of tagging on to the simple pleasures of life. Um, have like a newfound respect for the great outdoors. Would you say that simple pleasures can be had in any place, in any destination? I do. If it's the destination that's your choice destination, absolutely. Yeah. If it fits what you consider adventure, luxury, uh, comfort, uh, and everyone's is so different, I definitely agree that um, places seem to also be catering to those creature comforts. They want people to come and stay they're making it easy for people to work from uh, any resort. Even right. they were having kids uh, being able to learn from the resort. So they were really encouraging families to come and spend a month uh, or so during COVID. Uh, so I think that that is, that's an interesting point and it's uh, uh, an emerging trend. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, the two things that you and Dave just talked about, the simple pleasures and the outdoors, I always took for granted growing up because of how I grew up being a, um, a military brat. You know, I spent four years in northern Maine. I spent, you know, several years in the Florida Panhandle. I spent several years in Colorado. And I took being outdoors for granted. You know, because as kids, unlike today's generation, where you, they can't leave the front door of their house half the time. I lived in places that were remote, so it enabled me to enjoy the outdoors. Mm -hmm. uh, I hated Maine. I'll be honest with you. Four and a half years of living in northern Maine up by the Canadian border, tucked away up there where you get 180 inches of snow uh, <laughs> a year. And, you know, my birthday's in January, and the average temperature in January is, is a good 10 to 15 below zero on a good day. But now that I'm looking back on it as an adult, I miss just going outside, laying on the snowbank and staring up at the stars and hear nothing. Yes. There's yeah. no noise pollution whatsoever. That is true. And watching shooting stars is something that I've definitely gotten more into. Yeah. Yeah. You do that. You know, I remember watching my dad, the stars. Yeah. My dad for my eighth birthday brought me this humongous telescope and we had this huge window in our living room. So I remember when the astronauts were going to land on the moon, I would not allow anybody in the house with my little eight year old self to touch that telescope because I had it fixated <laughs> on the moon. Now I couldn't see it, you know, but it was just the idea of being able to do that. And I remember my dad let me go outside at night just to look up at the stars and lay in the snow or in the summertime. You know, northern Maine does not get that warm. You know, 75 degrees is a heat wave in northern Maine. We'd go lay in the grass and just look up, you know, and, you know, then the kids would go digging for earthworms to give to their dad so they can go fishing and things like that. And it was great. Now that I live in a concrete jungle, I'm like, I miss that. Yeah, I think people crave that, too, uh, yeah. which is why so many people left a lot of the cities for a while. Uh, I know they're coming back. But then I think that there was a lot of uh, uh, people realized just how important that time was, kind of that unplugged, disconnected time. Yeah. Well, in I, nature. I'm in nature, yeah. Speaking of nature, I know we've discussed a lot of, of well, the destinations in your number four category, which is dream trips. But one thing we haven't touched on, and this definitely has to do with nature, is the safari to Botswana. Yes, yes. That was one of my favorite trips uh, we took with the kids about four years ago. And again, those that's one of those one once-in-a-lifetime trips. Uh, and I think 
uh, personally, from our point of view, we decided to wait until our kids were old enough to appreciate it, uh, as well as old enough to sit still, because a lot of time on safari, you're patient and you're watching animals, which is uh, exciting. But when you were talking about the silence and the sounds earlier, it made me think of Botswana because when you are in Africa on safari, the sounds are so different. The distant sounds of a of a uh, lion in the distance or the padding of the feet of an enormous elephant walking past your tent in the middle of the night, uh, the hippos croaking. I don't know if hippos croak. Whatever hippos do. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the sounds of Africa are unforgettable. And that's kind of what's made me such an Africa junkie uh, is I would say more than anything else, the, the sounds. Yeah. Just, just keep me away from the snakes. Okay. <laughs> I didn't right. see any snakes while I was there. Oh, good. Brother, don't do snakes. <laughs> <laughs> There's no snakes. Don't worry. There are, that, I think the hyenas are eating them. You have nothing to worry about. Good. Cause I've almost been bitten twice by poisonous snakes. Not oh, my, shit. not my friend. <gasps> Listen, Michael's afraid of ants. Okay. <laughs> oh dear well then okay then, i don't know your 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 world is narrowing uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I put that right along they were rats <laughs> but you know what's scary i i hate to digress on this i read a uh I, I read a lot as you can tell there was a story yesterday i think it was south carolina where they actually had an alligator swimming in the ocean okay. that doesn't happen i you mean know. salt water at um, unless you're a saltwater croc in australia Alligators don't swim in salt water, but they found it swimming in the ocean, which tells oh, me that they're highly adaptable to whatever. Mm, that is scary. That that yeah, that just you know makes me shudder. Now, now I guess I won't be going to South Carolina anytime soon. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, category number three on your list: immersive, eco-conscious trips. Talk to me about that one. I love that. I love that category. Well, this is a bit of a hot point now. I think there's a lot of opinions about what what consists of an eco-conscious or immersive trip. And I can only speak to what I my my own opinion about it, um, which is really kind of being a responsible traveler, um, but also choosing places that are from whether it's hotels, uh, resorts that are also choosing to be responsible. And by that I mean uh not having any single-use plastics, paying attention to the carbon footprint, paying attention to uh, helping conserve the environment around them, uh, low, more of a low-impact model. And that is becoming much more popular. Uh, on the flip side, there would be those who say there's a lot of what's called greenwashing out there, where hotels are for lack of a better word, pretending to be eco-conscious, but not really putting their their money where their mouth is. I think that these things are all going to become more and more and more important over time. And I think that there's a few different aspects to it. As a traveler, you can choose to go somewhere and really dive deep culturally into um, a country. Like for instance, when we went to Marrakesh, we went out into the Atlas Mountains, and we hiked with a guide to a Berber village, and we had the love. We walked through this village. We met people from the village. 
it was not did not feel at all like a commercial endeavor at all. We were welcomed to into a home. We we were we had a meal with them. We were taught how to how they make their tea. And that was a very immersive experience for us. We've truly enjoyed it. And then we walked from village to village uh, afterwards. Uh, then there are also the trips where you can get to know a culture, whether it's taking part in cooking classes um, and learning to cook the local food. But I think what's also important is when hotels and resorts pull from the local communities. So they employ people locally, uh, as well as maybe taking on their recipes and maybe using local farms and purveyors rather than importing from far away. So there's a lot of different ways, and this is such a huge category, uh, one that I'm learning about more and more every time we travel. Uh, But I think that it's going to become something that we hear and read much more about, diving deeper into the places we go rather than trying to see as much as we can in the one country. I stayed at a hotel once and they only changed the linen if you request it. Yes. So yep. as, as opposed to changing your sheets every day. Think about it. When you were at home, you don't change your sheet every day. True. But you, tra- but you travel and you go to a hotel and you expect those sheets to be changed every day. Same with the towels. When I like when they say only yeah. uh, wash my towel if it's on the floor. I agree. We don't wash our bath towels every day. So I think that there those those are some small things that can be done that make a big difference. You, you know, that's actually one of the benefits of of if there is a silver lining in the COVID pandemic is that hotels actually went to the model that you and Dave are talking about. Uh, you know, every time I go to California, you know, because my son's family is rather large, we stay at a hotel. So, you know, they don't come and make my bed every day. I'm perfectly capable of putting my bed back together. They don't change our towels. Matter of fact, we, we put a sign, no towel service, don't need it. Don't need you to even mm. walk in the room. You know, we're perfectly capable of picking up after ourselves. So I, I'm hoping that that trend continues in the post-COVID world because it's, yeah, I mean, think about all the water being wasted washing those towels and sheets every day and, and, the, and the labor and the manpower that has to go into that. To me, that's ridiculous. If they want to pass on those savings to the consumer with cheaper hotel prices, I'm all for it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think it's a collective consciousness about um, helping to save our planet. I mean, it's just the truth. We, we all have to be... Do, do our part and we don't want to stop traveling altogether. I know that, you know, traveling is part is, is obviously you're making a bigger carbon footprint when you're on the plane, but when you get to your destination to really work hard, to keep it, um, uh, to be as conscientious as possible. Yeah. What are, what are your thoughts? And this is, uh, I'm, I'm digressing a little bit from, from it, but it's germane to this conversation we're having. Um, when you go to Europe, there's trains everywhere. The carbon footprint is a little more neutral, I guess, for lack of a better word, because there's not a bazillion cars on the road all the time. Here in the United States, we can't seem to build a train and go down the street. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, could somebody explain this to me in, in, in some terms that makes sense? We're so addicted to the car culture. And I know the oil companies and the car companies are probably facilitating a lot of that. But on some level, we can't keep building roads and stuff like that. We need train system. I agree. It's funny. You brought me back to, and I'll show my age in this. There was a movie called Singles back in the 90s. And 
I, I think that the, this was the dilemma of the movie is that one of the characters wanted to build a train system. And really what it came down to was what you just said. People love their cars. Yeah, I, I, I just think the truth right. <laughs> in America. Yeah, in America, yeah. I I remember when um, uh, when Obama was in the White House, and I remember he gave the state of Florida, I think, six billion dollars to build the train system that connected Orlando, Miami, and the Tampa area. And the governor turned it down, the money back, uh, oh, wow. because you know it was his philosophy. It was Rick Scott, who's now the senator, and now they have actually built a. Um, uh, a train system that actually goes from Orlando to Miami, but it's privately funded. And they're actually extending that now to Tampa and then they will connect the, the, the triangle, if you will. But I, mm. but the trains have a speed limit of like 135 miles an hour. Hell in Japan, they got trains going 250, 300 miles an hour. I mean, That's what right. is it that is making us so reluctant to deal with the issues? I mean, America is by far us in China are the largest people on the planet in terms of, committing to pollution. Michael, it's the politics. No matter how you twist it, it's the politics. Yeah, I get it. You know, so you got like, it's like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. We got hotels who are trying to do the ecotourism thing. And then we got our politicians who are going in the exact opposite direction. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I digress. I'm back. Back to Jamie's <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jamie. Now, you know, you got a lot of uh, your second category is travel advisory assisted trips. Explain. Travel agents, so, I guess. Yes. Well, interesting. I equate travel agents with uh, Liberty Travel in the strip mall in New Jersey where I grew up. Nothing wrong with Liberty Travel, but that's just the way I think of walking through the mall, stopping in brochures. So I had that in my head for years. I think that the reason that the travel advisor is on the rise uh, is Certainly because travel is so much less predictable today than ever. Uh, as we, anyone who has tried to book a ticket to go anywhere uh, out of this country, especially, there are protocols and procedures in place that are different for every single country. There's so much paperwork. Do I need a COVID test? Do I need a PCR test? If I need a PCR test, does it have to be 48 hours or 72 hours? Uh, if I travel through Munich, can I bring, um, do I have to bring carry-on because I'm not allowed out of the airport to then get back to my connecting flight? So many factors and unpredictability that I think that the travel advisor becomes this, is an expert in knowing all of these things. And it's really useful, beyond useful to have someone who knows all the ins and outs. I never used to use a travel advisor. Uh, I started using one um, about a year and a half ago, right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I do have to say that I will never go back to not having someone help me um, book and curate my flight and my hotels and putting my helping me put it all together. I still love to do all my research. I like to Google and Insta scroll through all of the things I want, choose my rooms. But when it comes to the details, it's really nice to have somebody else taking care of the details for me, especially like you just mentioned, David, that should something go bump, I don't have to spend four hours trying to get through to the airline. All I have to do, if they haven't even picked up on it first, which typically a good travel advisor will pick up on something 
like a delay or a cancellation even before I do and have fixed it. But even still, it's all just one text or email from me saying, this looks like a problem. Can you help? And then it's not in your hands anymore. Someone else is fixing it for you. And post-COVID, this is going to be super important. In fact, the New York Times recently wrote an article called The Rise of the Travel Advisor, uh, talking to these very points, uh, and that the travel advising industry is off the charts at the moment. Um, the one I work with is called Sire Travel, and they are under the umbrella of Virtuoso. So they have a lot of perks that I receive just by having them book it for me. Um, plus just all of the um, comfort of knowing that it's taken care of. Uh, so that that's, I think that that's a very important trend for today. And, and you know, to Terry, what you just said one step further, most Europeans use a travel advisor slash or agent. So, yes, oh, really? Tui. Okay. Yes, Tui. Tui. I think it's pronounced Tui. Yeah. There's a huge one in the UK, Tui. And they, they use travel agents all the time. We in the US, we go, we book our own flight, we book our own hotel. But in Europe, exactly. it's, it's totally different in Europe. Yeah. Well, I think it's a rebranding now. And I would like to rebrand it as the travel stylist rather yeah. than the travel advisor. I yeah. mean, we don't call our, we call it, a, we don't call it our hair advisor or fashion advisor. It's our hair stylist and our fashion stylist. And I think the travel stylist is equally important. And when we're talking about something exciting like travel, it mm-hmm. should not sound like your financial advisor. Uh, right. I, <laughs> no, I agree with you. Um, totally agree. I'd like to re. I'd like to rebrand that industry with travel stylist. Uh, I just think that it's very important, uh, and oftentimes it's a very small price to pay on the part of of like of the client, few hundred dollars, in order to have somebody help you facilitate a trip that can be very complicated in this post COVID travel world. Yeah. You're right, and yeah, you're right. Especially now, because all the requ- requirements to get it, even here in the United States, try getting a trip to Hawaii. They're having. There was an article. My girlfriend actually shared it with me yesterday. Hawaii's got issues with people coming into the country, but they also have or the islands, but they also have another problem. Their hotels are not ready for the influx. They're playing catch up. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah it was. It, I, it was a great read she sent me yesterday, and. They, they're just not ready for what's happening to them with everybody rushing to go to Hawaii. Hell, we were planning, planning on going to Hawaii later this year. I'm toying with holding off on that trip now, if for no other reason than to let some of the rush get out of the way. You know, that's very interesting you say that because Eric Rubant, who I work with at Sire, had said that very thing to a friend of mine about, and that's not something we'd all normally know. He said the very same thing. He said, Hawaii is not quite ready yet. And if you really want to have the experience that you deserve with the amount of money you're going to spend and the time you're going to take to get there, you'd like them to be on top of their game. So he had advised to give it uh, a little bit more time for them to get the, their act back together. And those are things as the average uh, travel consumer, we're just not going to know those those details. Yeah. You know, I, I think that the travel industry did us all a disservice back when the internet exploded back in the 2000s. Um, with the convenience of online travel agents and they were selling convenience and cheaper prices. But honestly, the, the extra couple hundred dollars you paid for that length of trip that you're planning 
it it's well worth the expense of not having to because when I was in Costa Rica, we did that ourselves. Well, Hurricane Harvey hit Houston while we were in Costa Rica, which was mm-hmm. our, our return point to the United States. I'm on the phone. I'm on the internet trying to rebook my flights um, when we were in Costa Rica, and it's hard to do when you're when you have uh, minimal cell phone reception, you have minimal mm-hmm. uh, 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 um, uh, internet access because we were in a remote area and the internet wasn't the best. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I spent, and then when I get to Houston, by the way, uh, Mm -hmm. we we saw the flooding from the air. I mean, Houston was devastated. And then we couldn't get a uh, connecting flight back to Las Vegas. So they routed us to LAX and I got to spend the night from about eight o'clock in the evening until maybe eight the following morning in the international terminal sleeping in a chair. Oh no. Oh dear. That's a shame. And that's the kind of thing that these days having um, your own travel stylist can, uh, can help you with. Because also when I heard you tell that story, all those hours were being taken away from your holiday in Costa Rica. And um, it's equally frustrating that you're spending two, three hours on the phone um, taken away from your time. Yeah, it really was. I, and, and it was funny because I, I actually had to take my computer and go into the lobby to use it just to try to do stuff online while I had my cell phone going at the same time because I had no reception in my room. Oh, wow. That's rough. I mean, all those monkeys that were outside my door could have gotten a better reception than I had. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but, but I do like your take. I think you're right. I think the travel agent slash advisor or stylist, excuse me. I'm sorry. Stylist <laughs> is, is actually the way to go. It, I mean, it's one thing for me to book a trip to go visit my kids. It's another thing for me to book a, an extensive vacation uh, globally. Exactly. Yes. Well, I, mean, I think it's great because I think that as we talked about um, before, travel, the, the whole idea of the travel comeback, we're kind of really just starting to get into it right now. And the more knowledge we have uh, and the more help we have uh, in this particular time, getting through this can be very important. And then I think you build a relationship with whoever your um, travel advisor is, you build that relationship. They know your likes and dislikes. And over time, it becomes where they really help you curate your trips in the future. It becomes a well-oiled machine. Uh, question for you. Under, under your immersive and eco-conscious trips, you mentioned Tokyo. And you said there's virtually no end to food adventures one can devour. Speak, oh, um, let's, let's talk about that food experience in Tokyo. Well, I, I did live there for four years. So I had an opportunity to eat my way through uh, <laughs> Tokyo for four years. Uh, the year we moved there, Michelin had just come to Tokyo and awarded, I think that year, I forget what year it was. It may have been 2010, uh, the most three Michelin starred restaurants of any city. And it was their first year. Uh, so it's an incredible foodie city. But when I say there's no end, I really mean that I ate some things that I would only have eaten in Tokyo. I was We once went to a restaurant that this is going to turn some people completely off. Chicken sashimi, which mm. is raw chicken. And it was a plate really? of raw chicken, all different parts of the chicken raw. Uh, personally, I did not enjoy it. Although I tried it all and I think it was a men- very mental for me. Uh, for some reason, I have no issue eating raw fish. But when it came to eating raw chicken, I just had the word salmonella p- 
popping into my head. (laughs) (laughs) But it was all done beautifully. The Japanese uh, do every cuisine that they do. They do to absolute perfection. Uh, They also, uh, one very popular restaurant, which I cannot remember the name of now, was only tofu. Anyway, uh, and not everybody loves tofu, but I learned to love tofu when I was in uh, Japan. So I think that anyone who does not already realize it, uh, Tokyo is one of the best foodie cities I've ever been to. I think one of the top foodie cities in the world. Yeah, I I call tofu tutti frutti, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) You just said eating raw chicken without fear of salmonella poisoning. How how do you eat raw chicken without fear of being of having salmonella poisoning? It was trusting the chefs exactly what it was <laughs> trusting the Japanese chefs. What do they do though? I mean, what what did they do to make to to make that experience a safe experience? You know, I don't know the answer to that. Um, that would be something I'd look into, but I have okay. to imagine it has to do with the prep- food preparation. Okay, but I don't know for sure. Wow. Wow. Okay. Uh, I will not be trying that. Um, uh, For those listening, uh, beware. Um, But I'm going to follow up on Tokyo, but from a different perspective. The Olympics start in about a month and a half. Unfortunately, tourists can't go. What are they going to be missing when they can't go to see Tokyo and in its cultural diversity? Not just the food, but there's so much to Tokyo. Yes. Well, I guess in my opinion i i'm sad about that of course um but i think that i'm biased i think tokyo should be on the top of everyone's travel bucket list uh i think that there's so much to discover under the surface of that city from uh food and uh shopping and museums and culturally is a fascinating place uh so much to offer families uh it's I couldn't even start to describe um, how much I've, I loved living there and how much I got out of it. Uh, but I think it should be top of people's dream, dream list. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it actually pains me to see them struggling like that just to get the Olympics held. You know, I mean, yeah, the athletes are going to go there, but they're going to be under all kinds of restrictions when they get there. And, you know, just like what's going on in the NBA right now with people testing positive and they won't be able to participate in their events. They can't go and enjoy the life and the culture of the city. Mm. That, that's just sad. It, it, it really is. And then, you know, we're going to be comparing that, to, I guess, three years from now because the next Olympics is Paris. I know. I think Tokyo will still be there. It'll bounce back. It'll just take a little while. And then I hope, I hope people go. Yeah. I know I will. I don't recall, it's, it is probably in our first episode, but I want you to, if you can articulate that again, how do you come up with the name I Am Lost and Found? Uh, well, it was a lot of brain dumping onto paper, just brainstorming ideas. And I was sitting on a beach over Christmas break with my family uh, at Turks and Caicos, and I came up with Lost and Found. Uh, it just sort of popped into my mind and it felt right, lost and found. But lost and found was already taken when I did a Google search. And so I mentioned it to my husband and he said, why don't you call it I am lost and found? And I felt that that even worked better because it was more of a statement. Uh, I am lost and found. And it was very personal. And it was about me and my inspiration. And that really 
felt right. So I went to buy that domain really fast. And here I am uh, three years later. I just want the audience to know that you can catch Jamie and her brilliant writing on her website. I am lost and found. Thank you. And and by the way, did your husband get any royalties for that? (laughs) No. (laughs) Let's just say we're not making much money from it. Or like we're negative at the moment. (laughs) He's getting the royalties every day. He's getting to read Jamie's. He's getting to read Jamie's articles. <laughs> he is my biggest fan. He is my biggest fan. Well, that's, that's great. And, and I'm going to, uh, in the few seconds we got left, I'm going to, you, your last category, your number one category on your list is simple pleasure trips. And I'm going to, I'm actually scrolling down because this struck me when I read it this morning. The Willow House in far west Texas in the Big Bend National Park area, which I've been to. How did you come up with that? Well, there's this lovely thing called Instagram that I happen to find <laughs> myself on. And that's where I get a lot of my inspiration is looking, scrolling through Instagram. And I came upon Willow House. In fact, Willow House has been written, written about quite a bit. Uh, it's kind of concrete structures. Uh, and it caught my eye as being something a bit unique in a unique location in the United States. Uh, so that definitely is, is uh, topping one of my. Simple pleasures list also because it's close to a, a national park that I know very little about, and I have discovered I love national parks. Well, you'll enjoy the hiking there. Trust me. I lived in Texas for eight years, so I'm very familiar with the terrain of the Big Bend area. Where haven't uh, you lived? Is the question. Um, well, I've never lived in Antarctica. Um, <laughs> <laughs> me, me and the penguins would be good friends. You know, I, I like living in different places. It's it's getting immersed in the culture. Sometimes I travel to places, even here in the United States. Um, you know, my girlfriend's son is in the Navy and um, uh, and her daughter just went to Annapolis last week to visit. I've been to Annapolis a couple times. Beautiful. Just, it is. Uh, I mean, it's gorgeous. The water and where the Naval Academy sits in particular just juts out into the bay and, you know, and, and you, know, you walk around to see all the historic museums and stuff there. So, I, I can find an experience pretty much not only where I've lived, but where I vacation. Then the next thing I think to myself, oh, I should move here. And then I have to talk <laughs> myself out of it. So <laughs> I hear you on that. Come to Ocala. We'll teach you how to breed horses. I've been to Ocala. <laughs> you forgot I also grew up there. <laughs> yeah, there is very little about the state of Florida that I don't know because I spent so much time there. I mean, I, my dad was stationed in Florida when I was in junior high school. Uh, and then when I went in the Air Force, I got stationed back in Florida in the exact same place for an additional four years. I've spent almost 10 years of my life in Florida. Did so, you stay in the West Coast of Florida? Uh, I have been every I have been everywhere in Florida from the Pensacola to Key West. Uh, wow. Uh, up and down. I mean, when I was playing sporting events, uh, I, I obviously sports teams travel. You know, so we go everywhere and I played every sport, football, basketball. I was a bowler, I, you know, and stuff like that. So I did everything in Florida. So, yeah, it's one of the states that I know quite a bit about. Um, anyway, enough of me about me in Florida. Um, Jamie, did we forget anything that that you wanted to touch on? Um, what's I, coming up? Anything yeah, new coming uh, other, up? other than Antarctica, what's coming up? I'll just have to surprise you. I thought we were family now. Come on, Jamie. Well, you know about Croatia. 
So that's <laughs> going to be next. Um, and hopefully between now and then we'll have a, a few adventures here and there. Um, nice. But it has been a total pleasure. I feel like I can't even believe I can talk for this long. Although my mother would disagree, I think. <laughs> uh, well, when you get, you remember the movie Happy Feet? Yes. The dancing penguins. Well, that's what we want to see you do on one of the glaciers with the penguins when you get to Antarctica. We want to see the Happy Feet dance. I will do my best. I you will said, do my best. I will that. have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, material for them, and maybe uh, <laughs> talk to you about Antarctica in the future. Well, you're invited back to talk about Antarctica. That's on my bucket list. I will not be able to go next year, but you can certainly uh, uh, provide me the insight that I need to plan my own trip. And um, lastly, Dave and I are seeking advice. We want to uh, take our podcast on the road. It's about that, which is what we were going to do before the pandemic. Any recommendations on where we should go? Oh, I think definitely DC. Ooh, that's that's interesting. I'll do that. You know what? I, that's actually a no-brainer. And I'll meet you there. I'll meet you along the way. Oh, you're invited. Don't trust me. You get us to DC. We don't have to think about bringing you in. I mean, DC is great. DC's got a lot to offer. It really does. I mean, you could get lost in DC for weeks at a time and not see the same destination twice. I don't. I don't need an excuse to visit DC. Um, hmm, Dave, we'll work on that one. I, I actually like that idea better than the ones we came up with. Um, <laughs> so, well, we have been speaking with Jamie Edwards. Her website is IamLostAndFound.com. She has some fantastic uh, articles uh, that you should definitely read before you plan any vacation. She has good advice, good tips, and the photography, a lot of which, if not most of it, is yours, right, Jamie? Yes, all of In fact, 99%. Uh, she is a fantastic photographer, and you should, if you go to her website for nothing else, just look at the stunning images that are on her platform. But please take the time to read the article, by the way. Uh, we will have all of that linked to our website as well. So, uh, Jamie, again, thanks for coming back on, and we look forward to the Antarctica story. It was a pleasure, as always. Really nice to chat with you both again. Well, thank you so much. And on behalf of my dear friend Dave Cumberbatch, this is Michael Bennett saying so long, and we will see you next time on another episode of TripCast 360. Yeah.